At Meredith's Health, we believe that patients' needs come first. That's why they are the center of everything we do. It's Your Health Matters with Melanie Cole. A diagnosis of head and neck cancer can be life-changing. According to the American Cancer Society, head and neck cancer accounts for about 3% of all the cancers in the United States. My guest today is Dr. David Cutler. He's a medical oncologist, hematologist with Meredith Cancer Specialists. Welcome to the show, Dr. Cutler. So what constitutes head and neck cancers? What type of cancers are we talking about? Sure. So uh, thank you for having me on your program today. Um, so um, head and neck cancer, uh, in terms of the epidemiology, in 2009, there was approximately 40,000 new cases of oral cavity and pharynx cancer and about 8,000 or so deaths uh, in the United States. And worldwide, uh, there are many more cases, uh, several hundred thousand cases a year at, at the minimum. And um, the incidence rates are more than twice as high in men as compared to women. Um, and and, tip, and traditionally, the risk factors for head and neck cancer have been things like smoking, uh, alcohol, and generally it, it has been seen in older patients in their seventh decade of life or older. Um, and uh, head and neck cancer consists of uh, three different anatomic sites. Uh, predominantly, most cancers are the oropharynx, which is uh, the base of the tongue, the tonsils, the back of the throat. Uh, there are also other tumors that involve the nasopharynx, which... Uh, is the, the nasal area uh, above the throat, uh, above the mouth, rather, and then below the mouth into the, into the larynx, laryngeal cancers are the third type of, of head and neck cancer. And uh, it's an important uh, cancer to be aware of because there is a very dramatic I- increase in the amount of cases, especially in younger patients. And so it's a topic I wanted to discuss a little bit uh, about today. So you mentioned risk factors. Go over those again for us, Dr. Cutler. And is there a genetic component to these? Sure. So generally, risk factors include things like uh, age, uh, where, again, you know, traditionally, uh, head and neck cancer has been seen in patients in the seventh decade of life, so in the 60s and older. Um, risk factors also include tobacco, uh, alcohol, uh, and occasionally there are hereditary cases where um, those with a family history of head and neck cancer can have up to a three to four fold increased uh, risk. Um, but what's also important about head and neck cancer is that there are actually two main subtypes. Uh, one subtype is uh, associated with a virus called human papillomavirus, um, which is a very common uh, um, viral infection that the majority of the population will have it at some point or another. Um, and another subtype are, are head and neck cancers that are not associated with that virus. And in, in the cases that are associated with that virus, um, they're, more, they're more often found in patients in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, uh, and they, they have a, a different uh, prognosis and a different pathophysiology. So just along those lines for a minute, Dr. Cutler, as we're seeing the vaccine and Gardasil and the HPV vaccine coming into our early teenagers, do you think, and this is your opinion, that we will see a reduction in HPV-related head and neck cancers coming up as this generation of kids gets older and has this vaccine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a great question. So, so right now, so the, the FDA-approved uh, indications for the use of the vaccine are in men and women between ages 9 and 26, um, for women for prevention of cervical cancer and uh, men and women uh, anal cancers uh, and genital warts um, and uh, head and neck cancer is not yet an indication but 
I think logically that you could you could say that in, in the next few years it's most likely going to get approved. Uh, that that I think that the the so the number of cases involving HPV, the human papillomavirus, are dramatically increasing. I think about three hundred percent in the last twenty years. Um, I think that those cases will start to come down uh, with increased use of the vaccine, and um, I think the main issues with the vaccine. Um, I think the participation rate has been about 40% on average. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, increased education and understanding what the risks and benefits are of the vaccine are going to be important uh, moving forward. I, I think in terms of the vaccine, I think um, the main risks that, that, that need to be known are that, you know, the chance of a, uh, of a blood clot, are they, they tend to be the highest. Uh, the, the, the blood, uh, having a blood clot tends to be the uh, risk factor. Uh, uh, after effect that could be the most serious after effect and it's only in one in several hundred thousand patients um the risk of passing away from being vaccinated from hpv is about one in a million so um every medical intervention has risks but these are extremely remote and i think it is important that we'll increase uh, education about the vaccine uh, as as time moves forward and is there yet available a screening tool now we screen for hpv now as, as sort of an adjunct to cervical cancer screening. Do you mm-hmm. see that coming down the line, or is there a screening for head and neck cancers? So we don't do that yet, uh, and that's a, that's a good question, actually. Um, uh, you know, should we start looking for HPV, uh, you know, in cheek swabs, uh, things like that? As far as I know, that's not standard of care. That's not something we do routinely. Um, you know, what a patient should be or what anybody in the population should be looking for, you know, if there's anything like persistent hoarseness, um, you know, a mass in the the neck or an area that's unusual when shaving, um, you know, ear infections or pain, uh, persistent ear infections or pain, uh, altered oral sensations um, or lesions in the mouth that aren't uh, aren't resolving, things that are, for example, early red lesions or white lesions, uh, or ulcers that are in the mouth for more than two or three weeks, you know, that would be something that I would probably want to, I would probably discuss with my dentist and just to, to ask about if I were, if I were to have that happen. Um, and, uh, you know, it would, I think it's, people should be aware of it, that uh, it's important just to, you know, to take a look in the side of their mouth and just be aware of what's going on, um, you know, when they're brushing their teeth uh, and just to, you know, um, be cognizant of that. And, uh, I think that that would be helpful. Um, I, I'm sure you know there is research going on in terms of HPV screening, um, and in, in cervical cancer, we, it has been found that adding HPV to the Pap smears has been very helpful in um, in preventing new cases of cervical cancer. So I'm, I'm sure that going forward, it will have a role in head and neck cancer. And I think you've made a good point that sometimes the screening might involve your dentist, and people might not think of that, but the dentists nowadays are looking for oral cancer, yes? Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, I think the that would sort of be the first um, uh, first person I would speak with if, if a person was concerned about their um, something, a lesion in their mouth or something not, not being right. Um, and, and they can take a look uh, at that. And uh, also, you know, any any time that there are things that are concerning, like as I mentioned, you know, if, if somebody feels a mass in the neck or persistent hoarseness, um, they could also see an ear and ear and uh, ear, nose, and throat specialist. Also, uh, that can also assess whether that uh, needs uh, evaluation or treatment. So either the a dentist or uh, or ear, nose, and throat physician would be uh, the professional to see to evaluate a potential uh, problem. 
So while we're talking about many different types of cancers, Dr. Cutler, what are some of the basic treatments out there today to deal with these cancers? People hear that diagnosis and they think this is a very scary thing because it involves eating and talking, things that people think of as a, a high quality of life. Yeah, cer- certainly. Um, so so just to bri- I, I can briefly touch upon treatments. So the um, generally for, for head and neck cancer, there are two main approaches. Uh, one is uh, surgery, um, where, where they simply remove the tumor. Um, the other is a combination of chemotherapy and radiation uh, to treat tumors. Um, the, the benefits of uh, surgery are uh, shorter treatment and no long-term radiation toxicities. <clears throat> Whereas the benefits of radiation and chemotherapy would be better organ preservation, um, better swallowing and speech, um, um, as opposed to potential complications from surgery. Um, but it, it, with more advanced cancers, generally, uh, treatment is uh, chemotherapy and radiation together. Um, and uh, usually during the during treatment, patients do need um, to watch out for uh, mucositis, which is inflammation in the mouth. And some patients require a feeding tube during the time of, of treatment because of the pain uh, involved with the treatment. But generally, patients do recover from that. And after uh, you know several months, the main side effects after treatment would be things like dry mouth and things that can be managed with uh, symptomatic treatments. So wrap it up for us, if you would. Give your best advice for possible prevention and information about head and neck cancers, what you really want the listeners to know, and why they should come to Meritus Health for their care. Sure, sure. Um, so, you know, again, I, I think that the fact that there have been such a you know, dramatic increase in the number of cases um, of head and neck cancer over the last s- several decades uh, that are HPV-related, I think um, I do think patients should, actually uh, to people in the general population, should be aware of, of the risk. Um, the fact is that uh, nearly half of all uh, the population will be infected with the human papillomavirus at some point, uh, and about 2 to 5% will have the infection with what's called a high-risk virus, um, which, which, are, uh, which are responsible for most of the HPV-positive cancers, which is HPV number 16 and HPV number 18. Uh, these, are, these are covered by the Gardasil vaccine. So um, I think one aspect of prevention is thinking about, uh, indefinitely in, in, in children and young adults, uh, whether the vaccine might be a good a good choice um, as a preventative tool for cervical obviously for cervical cancer as well as prevention of genital warts but also I think there will be a benefit although it's not an indication formally but uh, that it would be a benefit in prevention of uh, head and neck cancer going forward um, in terms of uh, the second thing is just again just to be aware uh, of your of you know your the health of your mouth that you're you know, having good dental hygiene, brushing your teeth at least once a day, flossing, you know, being aware of what's going on in terms of any ulcers or lesions. And if there's something that's you know, been present for a couple of weeks, it's not healing, something that doesn't seem right, it, it's worth going to your dentist and just bringing it up uh, to them. Uh, and um, you know, just being aware, I think, of, of your oral health and what's going on in your mouth and throat, um, I, think, I think would be beneficial. Um, and I think as as time goes forward, um, like I said, I think we'll have a better understanding of improved sc- uh, screening tools, 
perhaps using HPV testing in the mouth and, and sort of a, a swish and spit or a, a cheek swab to check for those things. Um, and hopefully um, we will have... The, the, other, the other aspect to this is that uh, there are premalignant lesions that also occur in the cervix and certainly in the mouth as well. And uh, things called dysplasia. And we don't yet have um, tools to really manage those outside of uh, observation for, he- for uh, premalignant lesions in the mouth. So I think this is another aspect that's very interesting that we'll have uh, improved treatments for and improved ways to manage that in the future. In terms of things at Meredith, uh, so we, we, we're an integrated cancer center. We have uh, radiation oncology and medical oncology under the same roof, uh, and it's very helpful. We can easily, you know, confer about uh, about the status of our patients. Uh, we're a major hospital here in the uh, in the Hagerstown area, and and also in southern um, central Pennsylvania, this catchment area. And uh, I think uh, we also have several clinical trials, uh, and we're expanding our clinical trials program here at the cancer center. Uh, and hope to uh, have increased uh, collaboration with the University of Pittsburgh, um, as well as the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland. So we, I think we have a number of exciting things going forward, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, uh, you know, the new uh, new research protocols and uh, and the new new um, collaborations we have in the future. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's such great information, and you're listening to Your Health Matters with Meritus Health. And for more information, you can go to MeritusHealth.com. That's MeritusHealth.com. This is Melanie Call. Thanks so much for listening.